gonna be starting a new series today, all right? We're gonna be in the book of 1 Peter. Oh my gosh, we've all been anticipating. All right, Josh, when are we gonna get to 1 Peter? It's gonna be good. It's gonna be as epic as you think it's gonna be, if not more, okay? Um, we got a title for the series, if you're taking notes, overarching theme for the summer, all right? A sojourner's guide, all right? A sojourner's guide. Now, if you're looking at me like, what's a sojourner? Which I know none of you are looking at me asking that because we say that like every week. What's up, my sojourners? Welcome. No, we never, ever, ever say that word. So I'm gonna give you a definition for what sojourners means and why we're calling it a sojourner's guide, all right? Sojourner basically is someone who is staying somewhere temporarily, all right? Someone who is staying somewhere temporarily. Because as we're gonna open this letter of 1 Peter, this guy named Peter's writing to a group of people that are scattered throughout a certain specific area. We'll get into that later. And they find themselves belonging, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is you as well, belonging to the kingdom of God, yet feeling far away from home in this place called earth. And in their context, they're, they're experiencing suffering, they're experiencing a lot of things going on. And Peter's gonna take this letter and remind them of where their permanent residence is. But for the time being, they are sojourners. They are temporarily in their home away from home. So this, this whole summer, we're gonna be in First Peter and looking at how he speaks to people who belong to the kingdom of God, but for the time being are living in the world and are given the task of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. So a sojourner's God. Now today, so okay, big title for the summer, a sojourner's God, First Peter. Small title, like so we went size 14 to size like 10 font. Uh, Gotham medium is my favorite font. I don't know about you guys. Um, but today is gonna be called Keep Your Eyes on Jesus. All right, keep your eyes on Jesus, all right? So we're gonna, we're gonna look into today, we're gonna touch some passages in 1 Peter, but really, I wanna nerd out a little bit about getting to know who Peter is in the first place, okay? Because if we don't know who Peter is, we can know it's from Peter, but it basically feels like an anonymous letter, because if you don't know who the sender is, like the letter doesn't mean as much. So, you know, I think about me in church camp, back in like eighth grade, there would be this weird time, I don't know why we did this, but all of us would gather in the cafeteria and we would read anonymous notes from people. So literally, my pastor would get up and go, to Joshua on the orange team. My, oh my, you look so cute today. And then everyone would go, what? That never happened to me. Okay, so it was really like, to Matt, another person in the camp. And I was always like, dang it. No secret girl thinks I'm cute. Anyway, they would read a letter, super weird, and you would just like, they'd be like, hey, we think you're so cute, and blah, 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 and then you'd be left with the mystery of who it's from. And so when you got a letter of admiration, it was either good news or bad news, you couldn't really know, right? Because if it's like, man, if it's that one girl, you know, that I saw buying a Snickers at the snack stand after the sermon, like, that's good news, because I really was making eyes at her. But if it's that other girl that I think she calls that flirting and it's kind of awkward, then this note's actually pretty bad news because she's just, it just depends on who it's from, right? I don't want us to have to question who our crush is in First Peter, all right? And that's why that wasn't a good metaphor, because it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, I want us to get to know the author. Does that make sense? Gosh, I'm not gonna use that at the 11. Anyway, we're gonna be in First Peter. We're gonna get to know Peter, all right? Will you open your Bibles to Matthew 14 and just keep giving me grace as listeners? Um, so we're gonna get to know Peter. So a few things as you're turning to Matthew 14, and if you're using one of our blue Bibles, we're on page 479. And I know what you're thinking, Joshua, we're in 1 Peter. Why are we turning to Matthew? I'm not an idiot. This is a story about Peter we're gonna talk about for a little bit. But a few things I want you to know about Peter after I take 
drink. Um, Peter is a small town guy, all right? He was born in this town called Bethsaida. He would later live uh, in a place called Capernaum. Uh, small town guy, you know, the, the type of town that has like tractor pools, you know what I'm saying? Or like, uh, like that parking lot that everyone hangs out in because we had nothing better to do. I don't, is anyone from a town like that? I am. Like, shout out Tyler Willett. That's a real person. He's a cattle farmer right now, Mayfield, Kentucky. That's the type of town I'm from. My best friend was a gangster and a cattle farmer at the same time. So that's the kind of town Peter's from. Small town, nothing going on. And in small towns, oftentimes, if you're from a small town like that, you know, family businesses are really common, right? So, you know, someone's dad installs air conditioning units for a living. Typically, he hands the business off to his son. Or someone's dad owns a lumber yard. His son's going to end up doing, doing lumber for a living. That was kind of where I'm from. And so, Peter, similar story. He was a fisherman. His dad was a fisherman. I assume his dad's 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 was a fisherman. This was their family business. This was their life source. They, I'm sure, both sold fish for income, but also probably ate fish because I'm sure fish were better than they are now because of all the mercury nowadays. But fish was good back then. Peter did that for a living, all right? Then Jesus comes along, this respected rabbi, this teacher, and he calls Peter out to follow him. And Peter leaves behind the family business to follow Jesus for three years until Jesus ascends into the heavens. Crazy story, okay? So incredible moment. So generation after generation, his family's been doing this thing, and Peter leaves it behind to follow Jesus, okay? So we're going to be joining a story in Matthew 14. I think it's going to be really relatable. You know, there's more in the Gospels about the man Peter than anyone else other than Jesus, right? So there's a ton about Jesus, but coming in a close, a distant second is Peter, all right? He had a wife. I don't know if he had kids, no record. Let's just assume he had kids. Let's picture Peter and his happy family, but I don't know. But he did have a wife, family guy, all right? So I want to join this passage in Matthew chapter 14, because we're going to get to know Peter a little bit. Because as we read through 1 Peter, I want us to get a feel for the guy we're reading from, the guy who's talking. So join me, Matthew 14, verses 22. We're going to read this whole story verse, uh, through verse 33. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he, he being Jesus, dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, which makes sense because it wasn't common to see humans walking on water. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, casually, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, he cried out. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. All right, so let's, let's rewind. Let's envision the story, okay? Let, like, let's, let's get a mental picture. So Peter and the whole squad, the disciples, you know, are, are on a boat, and the winds and the waves are pretty crazy. I don't know what they used to steer, but just imagine them trying to steer. Maybe a rudder back here. I'm sure it was manual. <clears throat> don't know. Anyway, they're in a boat. The storms come. It's crazy. And then suddenly, in the distance, 
a figure appears, right? Maybe the, red, maybe the white robe and the red sash, I don't know. Jesus is on the water. They're like, who is the person on the water? Jesus is like, chill, it's me, Jesus, standing on the water. And in the water is somehow reacting as if it was concrete. Peter goes, if this is you, tell me to come, I'm gonna come, all right? All right, now just picture this. So Peter locks eyes with Jesus. Very cool moment for Peter. Locks eyes, and he starts taking steps. I wonder if he was even aware when the boat ended and the water started because both surfaces reacted the exact same way. He didn't sink either way, right? Starts walking to Jesus, locked in. Amazing moment. Human, water, not sinking, no life vest. How is this happening? On Jesus, eyes on Jesus. Then I just picture maybe some wind like blows some hair out of his face or he hears a splash of water or maybe he gets a little wet and then he suddenly becomes aware of his circumstances. He realizes all of a sudden, wow, it's actually windier than I remember. These waves are higher than I remember. I've never done this before. I don't know how long I get to walk on water. I don't know the logic here. Jesus, I don't know how science works in situations like these, but I'm now panicking because of my surrounding circumstances. And he begins to sink, right? And then he says, Jesus, good person to call out to. He's still on the water. Save me. Jesus picks him up. And then Jesus responds, why'd you doubt? You have little faith. And then in my mind, there's this like hypothetical conversation where Peter responds, why'd I doubt? I've never done that before. Jesus, I was walking on the water. <laughs> like I doubted because that was super weird. Like I, I wasn't sure how this was gonna work out for me. There was a storm and Jesus goes, but there's gonna be lots of storms. You gotta lock eyes with me. I command the storms. Peter's like, okay, Jesus, I'll try again next time. But can I get some grace for this one time where I fail? And Jesus is like, well, of course. I'm Jesus, I give grace, that's what I do freely. That conversation didn't happen, but like in my heart, it happened this week as I was studying the passage, right? But this story, this story of Peter having this moment of like locking eyes with Jesus, I don't care about the winds or the storms, I don't care about the logic and the science behind all that, I'm locking eyes with you, you said come, so I'm coming. That's the deal, that's all I need to know, Jesus. You say come, here I come, that's the deal. And then this, this moment that we can all relate to, the circumstances kind of get chaotic and he starts to fall. This captures his whole progression. This story is both like a literal example of why you keep your eyes on Jesus, but also a metaphor for Peter's entire life. Peter was a man of high highs and low lows. All right, let's, let's recap some highs. Uh, one, he left everything to follow Jesus. Incredible, right? Um, he's the first disciple to, to confess or to profess that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, big deal. Jesus responds to him and says, hey, you didn't come up with that on your own. God revealed that to you. Like the Lord is at work in your heart for you understanding that I am the son of God. Like that's impressive. Jesus tells Peter, hey, I'm gonna build my church on you. And 2000 some odd years later, ta-da, like here we are in church. It's happening right now. That's because of Peter and the disciples work. But Jesus says, the church will start with you, Peter. Amazing highs. When Peter was locked in, that dude was bold, eager, eyes bigger than his stomach. Like he told Jesus, I will never, ever let you die. I will die before you die. Some big moments for Peter. But he also had some low lows, right? I mean, he fell in the water. That was, that was a bummer because it was pretty epic for a second, right? Uh, 
There was this moment where uh, Jesus low-key called him Satan, and that was a tough break for Peter, because it was right after he had called Jesus the Messiah. And, uh, and then Jesus told him he was going to go die, and Peter said, no, you're not. And Jesus said, look, I'm not trying to be mean here, but like, Satan, get behind me, all right? That's not okay. So that, that was a low moment. Um, he wasn't calling Peter like directly Satan, but he was recognizing Satan's voice being used in Peter's life. It was a tough day. There was another moment where uh, Jesus was arrested, and people asked Peter, like, hey, don't you know the guy that's about to be like tried and murdered? And Peter's like, I literally just heard of, what was his name, Joseph, Jesus, Jesus? I do not know this man, right? He denies him three times, just like Jesus told him he would do. And then he goes out and he ugly cries about it after he hears the rooster crows, right? He had some low lows. This is kind of the story of, Jesus, uh, of Peter's life. You know, uh, my, my grandpa once told me a quote, and this is gonna make sense why all of a sudden my grandpa just entered into this story uh, but my grandfather told me a quote one time. He goes, I don't think he made it up. I think he heard it from somewhere. Probably read it in the newspaper. A wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser man, does anyone know? Learns from, Hannah, shout out. That's what I'm talking about. Come see me after we have a gift basket. Good answer. Um, Cody, go buy a gift basket. Uh, yeah, get out of here. Uh, no, a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others, right? I was on a walk the other day in my neighborhood with my friend named Kyle, my friend and coincidentally roommate. So we went on a walk. It was sunny. It was beautiful. It was like 70 degrees. We had two days of spring. We were taking advantage of it because now it's like 100 degrees. Anyway, we were on a walk and my neighborhood's a quaint little neighborhood and it's got a lot of, um, with all respect, elderly people. And they're very beautiful and cute and, and old. And we were on a walk and you know, Kyle and I talked about, we were like, we were like, you know what's interesting? Maybe every generation has been like this in the past, but our generation specifically just has no time for older people. Like, I don't know if we're like the first generation in history, but we pretty much, and I'm speaking in broad generalizations here because my generation is also prone to hyperbole, so let me be hyperbolic in this moment. We do not care about old people at all, all right? So we were just talking about it, and we were like, that's so interesting. Because honestly, when old people like give their voice, they almost are discredited because of their age. Like, no, 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 let me and my 25-year-old friends, the enlightened ones, speak our truth. It's more true and more pertinent to this time and space in our culture today. I don't know why that is, because we actually started talking about it. That's super interesting because old people inevitably have experienced more life, right? Like logic, right? They've been through hard moments. Like we started talking about like, man, if I'm talking to an 80 year old, I'm talking to a dude that's literally had three times more life experience than me. Why do I never think to talk to them? And just like ask them questions. Hey man, kind of stressed about my budget. Ever had that happen? And he'll probably respond 79 times because I'm super old and had, had many moments to stress about my budget. Like I don't know what the conversation would be like, but I know because of this person's age and experience, they would have some insight. And I thought about my grandfather's quote, a wise man learns from his mistakes, a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. And then the fact that, man, old people probably have a lot of wisdom. We should try to hear from them. And then I realized that the letter of First Peter was written 30 years after Peter did ministry with Jesus. So we're reading a letter from someone who knows what it's like to be on the water, to lock eyes with Jesus, and then the literal waves and winds begin crashing. But also in the metaphorical sense, he knows what it's like to lock eyes on Jesus, and then the storms and the winds and the waves of this life start crashing. He knows what it's like to take his eyes off of Jesus and to feel the despair and the destruction when those things happen. 
And in those 30 years, since he was living life with Jesus in the gospel, Jesus ascends to heaven, disappears. Peter starts uh, preaching, the church is planted. There have been thousands of souls saved, hundreds and thousands of churches planted. The gospel is breaking forth in the world. But the people he's writing to in 1 Peter, these people that are scattered throughout Northern Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. And if you read the book of Acts and you follow the trajectory, people are coming to believe in Jesus but persecution is also on the rise. And Peter's like, hey, I know what it's like to be super excited about Jesus, to know he's the way, the truth and the life, to lock eyes with Jesus. I know that life. I also know what it's like to look around in my circumstances and to feel fear and to feel doubt. And if you'll just give me a second of your time, Like, let someone with more experience, with more wisdom, with more falls and bumps on the head than anyone else that I know, like, let me speak into your situation. So I want to invite you to turn to 1 Peter. We're going to look at uh, chapter 1. That's on page 588, if you're using one of our Bibles. And I want you to hear from a guy who's a little older, has a little more experience, has a little more wisdom, and he's going to speak into a culture this, this letter is going to circulate to a, a few different groups of people. You'll see it in the first verse. But he's going to speak into a culture where some of the people he's writing to are experiencing suffering and doubt right now. It's at their door. They don't have to look for it. They don't have to look for doubt or disbelief or fear. They found it. It's at their door. Um, there's speculation about when this letter was written. It was within five years of these fires that took place in the city of Rome. In the Roman Empire, the government blamed it on Christians, and this emperor named Nero started killing Christians at an insane rate. It was either right before that happened or right after it, not sure which, but what we do know is regardless, there was intense persecution happening for Christians. And so Peter's uh, writing to a bunch of people, and a bunch of people that understand that Jesus is Lord, they understand that this is not their home, but they still can't help but feel the fear and the discomfort that comes of being kingdom people in a world where hell is pushing back. He's going to say, hey, I've been there. Let me help you lock eyes on Jesus again. I know what it's like to see the goodness of Jesus, to know he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I also know what it's like to feel the despair of all the destruction around me and to lose eye contact and to forget who I am and who I belong to. And Peter's like, let me help you here. Let me help you lock eyes on Jesus. So to to wrap up this morning, we're just going to read a few verses. And we're not even going to dig into them too deep right now. We're going to go to communion, ask some questions. Do that. And then next week, we're really going to geek out on these first few verses, okay? So I want you to read 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We know Peter now, right? He's the guy. Walked on the water, fell in the water. High highs, low lows. Wife, maybe kids. Small town, tractor pulls. You remember? To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, I think, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Right off the bat, he's writing to a group of people who either suffering is at their front door or they're hearing about it around them with their friends and family. And he says, to those who are elect exiles, chosen by God, Belonging to the family of God, verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. He just, he goes ahead and he centers them right back in. Like, I don't know what you're going through as you 
de-scroll the scroll and open up this letter, however it would open up, but let me remind you, like the elect exiles, the ones chosen by God, but who are not yet home, who are, in a, who are sojourners in a, in a home away from home, let me remind you, you belong to the Father. You are being sanctified by the Spirit. Your life was made to be submitted in obedience to Jesus Christ. And don't forget the sprinkling of his blood, that Jesus' life has covered you. He just reminds them, let me get your eyes back on Jesus. Let me remind you who you are. And then he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And I imagine that in their context, whatever they were going through, grace and peace didn't make sense. There was doubt, there was fear, there was suffering, but he goes, because of who you are, you get to live in a tumultuous time in a culture that is not lifting up the name of Jesus and you get to walk in grace and peace because of who you are and where you belong. I imagine that in this room, even right now, we can relate because some people opened this letter. It was to, as you see in verse one, different groups of people. Some people opened this letter and were so aware of the pain and the doubt and the disbelief Some people opened this letter and went, man, come hell or high water, I'm locked in on Jesus. They were pumped up when they were reading this. Some people read and just weren't even sure anymore. And I imagine that those experiences, that those uh, perspectives are present in this room right now. Like some of us are here and we're like, man, I'm so locked in on Jesus. Like I literally do not care. Burn my house down, steal my car. I'll be homeless and preaching the gospel for the next 40 years. I do not care, right? And some of us are here and going, man, I can't believe I used to think God was real. Like that's that's a joke. I used to think he loved me. That's crazy, right? We're all across the spectrum. But this morning, I just wanna invite you in on this like sojourner's guide, right? This journey to lock eyes back on Jesus. And I wanna take us to a time of communion real quick. Or I wanna explain communion. I don't wanna do anything real quick. Let's be present and slow and um, you know, like here. But anyway, as we go to communion, I just wanna invite you to think about two questions. One, when was a time where it was really hard to lock your eyes on Jesus? Like, when was a time where it was hard to lock your eyes on Jesus? And you may be here and go, well, I don't even really believe in Jesus, so right now, it's pretty hard. Like, I'm just not sure. And that's not a joke. That's cool. But like, just when was a time where it was easy to like lose sight of who Jesus was? And then secondly, what did you learn from that experience? Okay. Now, the second question uh, matters if you like did this in the past, but if you're presently like, right now it's hard and I'm not sure what I'm learning, that's cool. So every week we say this, or I try to say it every week that we want this place to be like a living room. Church so often can feel so like clean cut and like there's rows and you can't get messy and like I'm gonna teach and then we're gonna sing and then you're gonna leave and that's just like how church is. But the truth is we believe church is that it's like most potent when we participate together as God's people. Potent, participate, people. I keep going with the peas. no? All right, so uh, we believe that church is powerful when we participate together. So I really do wanna invite you during communion to circle up your chairs. Like, I don't care about the rows, just try not to spill coffee, but it's okay if you do. We do that literally every week, but circle up chairs and just talk to one another. If you're just meeting someone, introduce yourself. And if you're uncomfortable doing this, then you can just like keep your head down or go to the back. Like, you don't have to participate. But if you're willing, like circle up chairs, ask each other, hey, when was the time where it was really hard to like believe in Jesus, to like keep focus on Jesus? And then what'd you learn from it? How did God use that to grow you? You know, Peter was once a coward and then he ends up dying for the faith. Like God used his moments of taking his eyes off Jesus to grow him immensely. So just talk about it. Does that make sense? Is that cool? Okay, we're gonna have a communion slide that explains kind of how we do communion. But so I'll invite you after I pray to stand up, grab communion, circle up chairs and just talk with one another, okay? Um, God, thank you for this morning. Wherever I just rambled too much or didn't make sense, would you help us to forget it? 
God's spirit, wherever you were speaking, um, would you help us to, to cling to it? Um, speak to us this morning, God. Minister to us as we share with one another. Um, give us courage to be honest. In Jesus' name, amen.